Welcome to the Policy and Planner English Podcast. I'm your host, Helen Laban. We're approaching the end of Season 4. If you're only now picking up the podcast, I'd recommend going back to the beginning of this season to listen to previous episodes before the wrap-up, because we're building from information that earlier guests have provided. Those previous episodes introduced basic concepts in how we experience flavor and what makes a food more or less appealing, and ways to work with that sensory information to modify diets in response to health needs without interrupting our enjoyment of food. An underlying premise has been that we will all need to make dietary modifications over our lifetime, and building capacity for change is a useful skill for maintaining good health. Health professionals can help expand that capacity for change if and when the time comes to modify our diets. Listeners have been warned that everyone will need to deal with this issue, if for no other reason than the aging process. Take Rowan Jacobson, the food writer truffle expert from the first episode. A relatively young early 50s, he's noticed his sense of smell shifting and his palate moving with it. I've noticed like an increasing need for bitter. Like, I'm making my cocktails more and more bitter. Love, you know, a good good plate of Brussels sprouts or kale. I can take a lot of bitter more and more. And I'm wondering if that's some sort of compensation that either happens as you get older or uh, for whatever reason, if, you're, your sense of, if your senses diminish a little bit, you're like, at least bitter lets you know you're still alive. You don't know if you want to be alive, but at least you know that you are. You like bitter, right? I was going to say, why, yes, bitter does make me, it gives me a sense of being still alive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there are, there's no one under the age of 20 who says that, right? Like, it's funny. It takes a long time for that to come. I don't know why that is. Ugh, podcast hosts shouldn't giggle. But I do really like bitter. In my case, I think it's more a sign that I can't taste it very well. Another theme from our episode with Amy Trubeck is working with students interested in the field of nutrition to consider how different real-world situations impact food choices. In the lab, everybody works with a partner. And so this is a a multi-part assignment where the students, the teams have to work together. They choose a scenario. So for example, a family with a single parent living in New York City without access to fresh fruits and vegetables with two, two teenage children. And then they have to figure out what meal would work from the point of view of those constraints, because part of what we try to teach people about is, you know, you can't just give people didactically information and say, follow these rules if you don't think about the context within which people are actually operating. So that forces the students to have to think about not just this sort of more generic idea of you should eat more fresh fruits and vegetables, which is a lot of the way dietary information, nutrition information is conveyed. Today, we're bringing that premise into practice and consulting with someone who's a pro, literally a professional, at matching food and diet to different situations and individual needs, including the dreaded changes to sense of smell and flavor. Hi, I'm Chris Moldovan. I am a registered dietitian and the Nutrition and Wellness Director at AgeWell. AgeWell is an area agency on aging that serves the northwestern portion of Vermont, specifically Chittenden, Franklin, Addison, and Grand Isle counties. We serve uh, meals on wheels or home-delivered meals to individuals over the age of 60 who are unable to prepare their own meals and need uh, assistance. 
We also provide community meals or congregate meals at uh, various meal sites throughout the four counties. They would be at senior centers, community centers, uh, sometimes faith partners in those different communities and serve individuals a nutritious meal that meets the Older Americans Act guidelines for nutrition and allows the opportunity to socialize, meet with others, enjoy conversation and education in those settings. AgeWell also provides the services of a registered dietitian to do one-on-one medical nutrition therapy and counseling in the home, virtually or on the phone, as well as education sessions to help support individuals to manage their chronic health issues. I've thought a bit about how to put together the story of Chris's work. And I apologize for this, but I'm going to start with the bad news all at once. Just get it out of the way. It's going to be a disheartening list of ways our relationship with food could change for the worse with age. It will not be as disheartening as the infamous opening of the novel Ministry for the Future. So if we use that as the benchmark for bleak beginnings, we're doing fine. And if you want to consult with your local bookstore on the Ministry for the Future situation before proceeding, then hit pause now. The point of cataloging challenges to enjoying a healthy diet as we age is not to be alarmist. What I'm hoping you'll take away is a sense of the many factors at play, interacting with each other, that programs like AgeWell are designed to address. Here we go. As people age, lots of things happen in their choices that they make every day in regards to food and meals. Uh, They may uh, suddenly find themselves living alone where they lived uh, for many years with a family and had to plan meals for, say, six or eight people. And suddenly it's just an individual and their spouse, or maybe they live alone now. So oftentimes that meal planning is affected. It changes the way that they might shop, that they might be able to afford certain types of foods and groceries. Their interest in cooking may change, that they may not find themselves interested in, say, preparing a roast and full side dishes with fruits, vegetables, grains, and so forth. And physically, there are changes. Individuals, as we age, will find that maybe they're feeling isolated, alone, not as motivated to prepare those meals. They may find that their vision has changed and they can't see as well, maybe see to read the recipes or the ingredients listings or the temperature controls on their stove or oven. They may miss items in their storage or refrigerator or cupboards. They may have problems with tactile problems where they're unable to open jars or open containers as easily as they once uh, were able to do. They may not be able to stand physically as long by the stovetop or by the uh, countertop to do meal prep, as well as The sense of smell is going to be decreased as we age gradually. Often this happens uh, at a pace that's not necessarily discernible or noticeable right away, but over time can play a big impact on how someone senses and feels about their food that they are ready to prepare and eat. An individual will find that maybe they have taste changes related to uh, the aging process, but it might be related to multiple medications or supplements that they're taking. Uh, They might find that the digestive process has changed a bit in their bodies. Maybe they have reflux or they're not able to tolerate certain foods without gastrointestinal issues. And so all of those types of changes that happen over time 
can lead to changes in individuals' intakes. Oftentimes, these changes can lead to risk for malnutrition. If certain food groups are left out, if certain um, meals are no longer prepared, if a person is not getting a wide variety of food items, like different fruits and vegetables that provide different vitamins and minerals, different protein sources, or protein in general is often left out. It's expensive. It's hard to prepare. It's cumbersome. And it might be not as palatable to somebody who's aging. Maybe they have problems with their dentition. They could have dentures or ill-fitting dentures, or maybe they have teeth with decay or, or loss of teeth that they're not able to chew. And um, therefore they don't enjoy the meals as much. They could have dry mouth related to, again, a medications or an illness, which again can lead to discomfort and uh, not an enjoyable sensation eating. Uh, as it once was. Did you get the sense that this was just a small sample from a much, much longer list of problems in store for us all? I got that sense. Parsing these examples, we begin to see familiar themes from previous episodes. You have all the senses coming into play to help or inhibit our enjoyment of food. There are elements from the last episode on food agency, navigating cooking and external constraints on cooking. Some of our season three concerns also appear here in barriers to food access, including cost and transportation. And there are a lot of context elements, similar to what we discussed in the Food Journal episode, the emotional and social side of food. We also have the clinical side of this work, finding diets that match medical conditions or manage medication side effects. This is all within the general umbrella of helping everyone over the age of 60 maintain a basic healthy diet the recommended daily nutrients and quality of food that go into nutrition security. It's a big job. Let's look at each of these components, starting with the one that we've discussed the most so far, sensory perception and changes to these senses, in particular, the sense of smell. The onset of loss of smell is interesting. These changes sometimes aren't reported because they're small incremental changes over time. Uh, The research indicates that males seem to have a higher incidence of loss of smell as they become 60 and older. And females see it more often as they turn 70 and older. Some risk factors may include smoking or heavy smoking on someone's sense of smell, heavy alcohol use, uh, if they have any disease of the sinuses or nasal passageways, that those sometimes can play a role in how Um, the body is able to detect smells. Um, Some people with dementia may have changes in their detection of certain odors as well. Many older people have trouble detecting certain smells, actually differentiating between smells and odors and identifying other scents. So this is a confusing sort of conundrum and it may play havoc with a person's overall intake and appetite. If they can't detect a certain smell or an odor, that can cause confusion and maybe the receptors related to taste may be affected and that person may not be able to enjoy the food as much as they once were able to enjoy the same foods. We do use our senses. Visually, we see the food through our olfactory or, or sense of smell. We take the lovely scents and you know delicious odors such as uh, baking cookies or bread in the oven, or maybe, you know, a spicy sauce on the stovetop. And if you don't have that ability to differentiate and detect those odors, 
it may affect how we perceive and taste the food. Heightening the impact of flavors that are still perceived is one strategy to keep food appealing. Playing on other senses, including the visual and texture, are other options. So when thinking about individuals who might be experiencing the loss of smell, it's important to think about foods and meals that appeal to all of the individual senses. Foods that are bright in color and fill the plate and and have texture and crispiness and a mixture of flavors that add brightness to the food can all help to increase someone's appetite and intake. For instance, you know, using bright citrus, uh, lemon, orange juice, that kind of thing, mixing in to sauces or or dressings that might be on a, a plate, having a variety of fresh vegetables in salad form or marinated in a, a vinaigrette or um, using fresh herbs from, you know, the garden or local farm stand or just using the spice rack in the kitchen. Thinking about individuals' preferences, what they typically would eat and then sort of jazzing them up, if you will. Thinking about, you know, you can cook with a a nice wine to create a sauce that the alcohol will cook off, but you can create a nice rich texture and a rich vibrant uh, flavor that can often add to the uh, palatability of the meal and also perhaps add to and help someone enjoy a protein source more. For instance, if you have a baked chicken with a lovely wine sauce, or you have an herbed baked roast pork, you can create some nice flavors. Um, You can add in, again, a a variety of different types of fruits and vegetables, whether they're cut up in different ways, julienned or steamed vegetables or baked or broiled or roasted uh, vegetable medleys are nice ways to bring out the flavor of the vegetables and the textures and, um, you know, making sure that uh, every meal and snack is sort of nutrient dense, if you will. But other changes are going on as well. For example, Chris sees a pattern in protein falling out of diets for various reasons, not just flavor, but cost, portion size, texture, incremental changes that add up to shift diet in unhealthy ways. So she might adjust techniques for increasing the appeal of dishes to someone with shifting tastes and also incorporate tips for boosting protein. So protein sources, thinking about small amounts of protein mixed in with a, you know, with a snack is a good way to make sure that the protein needs are met. For instance, having a small, say, uh, serving of peanut butter with a nice fresh apple, Uh, the crispiness of the apple, the tartness of the apple, maybe even the sweetness of the apple sort of complements that peanut butter. And yet you're getting a nice protein source as well. You might be able to take something like a nice tangy yogurt, which is a nice soft texture, and maybe again, mix it with fresh fruit or have it even a plain yogurt that you add, say, uh, fresh herbs to as a dip for cucumber slices. So again, you know, just creating a different way of thinking about meals and snacks thinking about making sure that breakfast has a protein source. Are you having perhaps a piece of toast and a hard boiled egg? Are you having maybe putting again, a a spread of almond butter or peanut butter on your toast or having a smoothie? If you don't like to sit down to have a meal, you could make something, you know, in the blender with fresh fruit, vegetables, any combination that you have and, and you enjoy mixing with yogurt or milk. 
and uh, or soy milk or almond milk, if that's your preference, and uh, creating a nice beverage that can actually provide those proteins, those fruits and vegetables, but in a different format that might be appealing. These ideas are provided both through general education and through individual counseling. The individual sessions allow a dietitian to apply the general context of changes seen with age to the particular circumstances of individuals recommended for that consultation. AgeWell provides uh, medical nutrition therapy or in-home nutrition counseling for individuals who may be trying to manage a chronic health problem such as diabetes, hypertension, or maybe they're struggling to uh, maintain weight due to illness or therapy that they're um, going through. Their appetite may be uh, decreased. They may have dementia lots of different situations where an individual might be struggling to maintain their weight. Also, the services can be provided to an individual who would be trying to heal a wound, whether it's a surgical incision or another type of wound that needs to be healed through adequate nutrition. Our dietitian is available to schedule an appointment at no cost to the individual and provide a session or two to help them learn ways to manage their nutritional status or plan their meals, do their shopping to support them in their health endeavors. Chris also mentioned changes that introduce new constraints on cooking ability. While AgeWell can help with navigating those changes for people who continue cooking for themselves, they also provide the option of prepared meals in group settings like senior centers or delivered to the home. Participants may have times when they require a home delivery and other times when they are able to participate in more community activities. Either avenue places a premium on some level of social interaction, an important part of overall health. Prepared meals are also a way to introduce new foods or cooking techniques that is low risk to the person being encouraged to try something unfamiliar. We've already discussed the importance of reducing friction in the whole exploration element of adjusting diets to new health constraints. Here's Chris describing how that plays out in her work. The Home Delivered Meals Program at AgeWell offers a menu that changes each month. Uh, We've done a lot more lately with beans, peas, and lentils, you know, incorporating things like lentil salads and um, chickpeas or garbanzo bean type uh, salads or adding those to soups and trying to incorporate those as a food item that might not be the norm for an individual who's, uh, say, in their late 90s, but might be something that they would enjoy, might be a softer food that they could get a good adequate source of protein, get some additional fiber, and experience in a different way. Whole grains, brown rice, quinoa, some of those items are just not typical items that this age group has experienced. And so, you know, we work to incorporate them in and I don't want to say disguise, but incorporate them into favorite recipes that someone would try and accept and oftentimes received very, very well. Because this is a home delivered meal, the individual doesn't have to invest a great deal in purchasing or learning how to cook a particular item, let's say uh, brown rice, that they maybe didn't know or haven't had that experience with before. So by getting a small portion as part of the component of the meal, this allows them to experiment and try a new food item. Of course, this can also go the other direction. By working with more individuals and modifying diets to meet their preferences, the nutritionists also learn something about different eating styles. We're working with a group of older Vermonters who bring experience to the table 
and their experience, whether it's cooking for a family, working in the corporate world, grabbing takeout or their cultural diversity all brings the whole individual to the table. People participating in Meals on Wheels and engaging with their area agency on aging more generally will have a broad range of health needs and possible restrictions, the common denominator being that they are at least 60 years old. In Season 3, we discuss medically tailored meals as an effective food-based treatment option for certain medical conditions or situations, like coming home from a stay in the hospital. Some Meals on Wheels programs do offer medically tailored meals as one of their services, and Medicare Advantage plans increasingly offer these contracts. Although medically tailored meals and the standard Meals on Wheels service are two different programs, they're more similar than not. Almost 80% of Vermonters receiving assistance from Meals on Wheels report that it helps with a medical condition. The similarities between the programs illustrate some common tenets of meal services designed with health outcomes in mind. Both provide a substantial amount of daily nutrition needs, one-third for the standard program and two-thirds for medically tailored meals, at least five days a week, preferably with options for weekends. They include home delivery to ensure access for people with mobility issues. Staff are trained in managing healthcare information, including care coordination services. And the meals are tailored for nutrition. A common misunderstanding is that nutritious in this context does not mean generally healthy. Even the least tailored Meals on Wheels menu is still adjusted to match the nutritional needs of an older demographic. Ideally, nutritious meals also means that they can be adapted to meet different dietary requirements, and some states require this based on chronic condition prevalence data. Here's Chris explaining the modifications that AgeWell offers. All of our home-delivered meals meet a third of the DRI or dietary reference intake for an individual over the age of 60 as required by the Older Americans Act. As part of the Meals on Wheels program, we're able to offer eight different therapeutic diets to help individuals manage their chronic health problems. Uh, Those diets include a regular diet, which is heart healthy, already reduced in sodium and fat. We offer a diabetic-friendly meal, which is a carb-controlled dessert in addition to that regular diet. We provide a renal-friendly diet, which focuses on decreasing potassium, sodium, and uh, providing adequate protein, but not excessive protein. We also provide gluten-free, lactose-free diets for those people with challenges. And we also offer texture-modified diets, pureed and mechanical soft for those people that might have chewing and swallowing problems. In addition, we work with clients to avoid allergens that they may be working to avoid and any combination thereof those diets so that if an individual has problems chewing or swallowing and needs a puree diet, they could get a diabetic-friendly, lactose-free pureed diet delivered to their home Monday through Friday with frozen meals available for the weekend if that's necessary. Chris is a registered dietitian who also pays a lot of attention to what makes a diet enjoyable, even in challenging circumstances that restrict options of what to eat. As a dietitian, she is qualified to integrate a range of medical considerations into meal design, from the mechanics of chewing and swallowing to the details of counting carbohydrates while managing diabetes. The Older Americans Act, which provides key funding for these meals programs, sets out detailed guidelines for the nutritional quality of meals and requires that a registered dietitian or professional with equivalent training, 
be involved in planning the nutrition services. The Meals on Wheels program has always been rooted in health goals, including not just nutrition services, but the benefit of checking in on people living alone, helping spot and avoid hazards like potential falls, and often serving as a first step in accessing the network of community supports that allow more people to age at home. In the show notes at plainerenglish.org, I'll link to materials that provide more details on the national context of these programs. Now, I'd be remiss to close without recommending what may be the best book about enjoying food across all stages of life, The Pleasures of Cooking for One by Judith Jones, the legendary cookbook editor and also Vermonter. She happened to write this book in her 80s, after her husband passed away, but it's meant for younger generations as well. She rightly points out that when you cook for yourself, you have only yourself to please. You can indulge whims, make exactly what you feel like, let go of any perfectionist tendency, follow inspiration, and experiment with all sorts of odds and ends and bits of new ingredients, since nothing needs to be produced in large quantity. And she has a solid cooking strategy to back it up. So check out Judith Jones. I'll link her book in the show notes. And then return when we pull the last pieces together for season four of the Policy and Planner English podcast. Have you read the uh, Judith Jones book, The Pleasures of Cooking for One? Oh, no. I know oh, I will, though. Oh, you have to. It is so good. It's a cookbook, but it's a wonderful cookbook. This season of Policy and Planer English is supported by a grant from HRSA and the Northern Border Regional Commission. Find out more in our show notes at planerenglish.org.